Beauty for Ashes. Uh, we're going to talk about how God turned things around for David. <clears throat> and the title this week is We Have a Magnificent, Merciful God. I had been thinking about God's beauty and wonder and magnificence, and I had a text from, uh, from Heather McAllister, I don't know if she's here or not this week, uh, who said that she felt that God was speaking to her about his magnificence, and she, she um, sent me a psalm, Psalm 145, which is one that, that David wrote, and uh, he speaks about God in that way. Let me just read you a couple of verses from Psalm 145, written by David. And um, I wanted to read it to you in the message translation. That's what Heather sent to me. And here is what it says. It says, uh, and of course I thought I had it marked there. Oh, here we are. Yes, here we are. Psalm 145. Here's what David said. I lift you high and praise my God, O my King, and I'll bless your name into eternity. I'll bless you every day and keep it up from now to eternity. And here's what he said. This is in the message. God is magnificent. He can never be praised enough. There are no boundaries to his greatness. Generation after generation stand in awe of your work. And each one tells stories of your mighty acts. Your beauty and splendor have everyone talking. Your marvelous doings are headline news. I could write a book, said David, of the details of your greatness. God is all mercy and grace. Not quick to anger, but rich in love. God is good to one and all. Everything he does is suffused with grace. They talk about the glories of your rule. They exclaim over your splendor, letting the world know of your power for good. And then he says, David says, God's there listening for all who pray, for all who pray and mean it. And I believe just those words uh, about God's magnificence and his splendor. I really believe that God wants us to get a glimpse of how wonderful and majestic and beautiful he is. You know, we've been looking over the last few weeks about how David had fallen away, how he had, he had believed a lie because he was under pressure and he was fearful. He was full of fear because he, 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 he was afraid that Saul was one day going to catch him. And we saw over the past week or two that he took a backward step and he actually went away from God's people and went to live with the Philistines who were the enemies of God. And we've seen over the past few weeks that he actually lived a life, a double life, a dual life. He pretended that he was, had actually defected over to the Philistines when all the time his heart was still for God. And we've seen over this past few weeks that, that God delivered him and his men and they were able to return back to Ziklag, the place where they'd been living, where they'd been living this double life. And when they got there, we've seen that it was all up in ashes. And we've talked about how in life sometimes we can get sidetracked we can take wrong turns, we can make mistakes, we can be distracted, the enemy can, can seduce us, we can, be, we can end up in places we never thought we would, and we can live lives and do things we never thought we ever would or, or could do because the enemy is powerful and he knows our weakness and he knows how to seduce us and take us aside. And we can find ourselves, if you like, in a spiritual zigzag where we're not really in tune with God and we're living a double life. And God doesn't want that for us. He doesn't want that for you. He wants the best for you. 
and he wants to bring you back. And David, when he came back to Ziglag, he saw that everything in Ziglag had gone up in ashes. And we've looked over this last week how sometimes in life it seems as though we're just holding ashes because things that have happened to us have, have actually hurt us and wounded us and, and we see that, that, that the hopes and dreams that we had have burnt up and there's only ashes in our hands. But you see, when David got back to Ziglag and he saw the ashes, he didn't know right away that God was going to turn his ashes into beauty. And that's what he wants to do for you this morning. That's the truth of what he wants to speak over all of you this morning. And so David was in this place where the, he, he and his men could have, if they had lived in, in our day, if they'd lived in the New Testament time, they would have known that what Jesus said was the truth. That Satan is a thief who comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. And that is what he had done in this situation. He had done great damage to David. And you see, we need to understand that Satan has a plan against us. God is for you, but Satan is against you. And he has a plan and a strategy against you because he wants to steal from you. He wants to steal what God wants to do in your life. He wants to steal your destiny. He wants to steal your future. And if he could, he would try to kill you. And in this situation, we're going to read a few verses from 1 Samuel 30, and we're going to see what happened when David and his men arrived in Ziglag. It says that they discovered that Ziglag had been burned to the ground. And in verse 2 of 1 Samuel 30, it says that the Amalekites had carried off the women and children and everyone else without killing them. When David and his men saw the ruins and realized what had happened to their families, they wept until they could weep no more. David's wives, Ahinoam from Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal from Carmel, were among those who were captured. David was now in great danger because all his men were very bitter about losing their sons and daughters and they began to talk of stoning David. But David found strength in the Lord his God. So we see that when they got back and saw the ruins. Do you know there was one point in my life, and I know I told you my story a few weeks ago, but there was one point in my life where I remember looking and seeing ruins. And I'm guessing that there's a whole lot of you in here and there are some ruins in your life, stuff that, that you hoped would come to pass, but it's kind of in wreck and ruin. But we have a God who restores and who turns things around. And so David, David and his men, initially when they saw the ruins and realised that their wives and their children had been taken captive, it says they began to weep until they could weep no more. But then, not only that, after the initial shock, David's men began to blame him. You know, whenever we're grieving and mourning, usually the shock is the screaming and the shouting and the, the shock of everything. But then there's a tendency, isn't there, to project blame on others for what's happened in our lives. And this is what happened here. David's men looked to David and they looked to him as their leader because he was the one who had led them into Ziglag. He was the one who had led them. He had responsibility and he had led them into this place of loss and grief. And so they began to speak about stoning him. And this reminds me of what the enemy wants to do because the enemy wanted to do more in David's life. He wanted to steal more than his wives and his children. He wanted to steal his reputation. He wanted to steal his relationship with his men. He wanted to steal their, their respect for him. 
He wanted to stop him. In fact, Satan wanted to kill David. That's why there was a threat of stoning him. He was stirring up his men to kill him. And the enemy wants to destroy you. Do you realize that? He really wants to destroy you. He wants to steal from you. And he wants to kill you if he could. And so David realized that he was in a really dangerous position. And David realized that he needed to turn to God. You see, the first step that we need to take whenever we realize our life is in a mess is to turn to God. Not the last step, but the first step. And that's what David did. Let's just read on. It says that he, but David found strength in the Lord. Verse 7, because he said to Abathar the priest, bring me the ephod. So Abathar brought it. Then David asked the Lord, should I chase after this band of raiders? Will I catch them? And the Lord told him, yes, go after them. You will surely recover everything that was taken from you. David found strength in the Lord his God. You see, what really struck me this week was how after all his lies and all his shame and all of his double life that he had been living for the 16 months, David, when he's in a place of danger, his immediate response is to turn to God. And that's the immediate response that we need to have. Isn't it amazing that he felt able to turn to God? We have a magnificent God who's not only magnificent in power and in glory, but he's magnificent in his mercy. And David knew his God. David knew his God. He knew that he belonged to a God of mercy and of grace. That's why he was able to turn to him. You know, if it was up to you or me, we would have said to David, rub it up you. Wouldn't we? You, you went and you did that and you just deserved it. Wouldn't we? In our own flesh. That's exactly what we would do. And that's why it's so important when we're praying for people that we remember that there but for the grace of God go we. We need to have God's heart when we're praying for people. A heart of mercy and grace and understanding of infinite understanding. Because you know what? Although David had been living away and running in fear and pretending to be the big man and pretending that he was okay and, and putting a false front to the Philistines. Although he was doing all of that, do you know something? God saw his heart. God saw his heart. He saw David in the nighttime whenever he was whenever he was weeping and whenever he was whenever David would would have cried out to his God. There's no doubt in my heart that David cried out to the to the Lord during those months. Even though he was pretending that everything was okay. Do you know why I know that? Because I know what's happened in my life. And I know that so often I've walked about as if everything was okay. But inside I was breaking up because things weren't right with me and God. And I'm guessing there's some of you here and you've also experienced that in your life at some stage. And maybe even experiencing it today. And God wants you to know you can turn to him because he's not like people. He's not, he's not one who'll shun you or tell you to go and wise up. He's the one who'll say, come unto me, all you that are tired and weary and heavy laden with your grief and your sin. He's the God who says, come to me. He's a God of grace. And you see, God is the all-seeing one. You know, when I thought about this word magnificent, I have to say I was reminded again about the magnificent peacock. Remember the word that we got at the beginning of this year about how the, you know God in his creation shows his glory. And the, pe the peacock is just one of the beautiful birds 
of creation and you see God's glory in, in, in the colour. I was thinking of how the birds fly and there's so many birds that are so beautiful in colour. The peacock is one of the most beautiful you'd ever see, isn't it? Apparently, uh, I heard um, from Sally here that there's a, 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 a peacock demonstrated in Fulton's. It's on display. I'm going to go today at some stage and have a look at it. And I believe it's beautiful. And you see, God's creation and beauty. I mean, when you look at the markings on the peacock, let's just, let's just look at the peacock, for example. When you look at the markings and you see those eyes all over its body, I believe it just reminds me of God, the all-seeing one. The one who sees. The one who sees what you and I can't see. And God can look into a heart and he can see what's really going on. And we can't because we look in at somebody and we go to pray for them. And you know what? We don't know how to pray for them, but we depend on God to prompt us and to give us words that, because he knows. And that's why we were all late this morning in the prayer room because we took a notion to go right round everybody in the prayer room and pray over them prophetically. And we were getting words of life for them because God wants to bless his girls. And he wants you to know that he sees everything that goes on in your life. I had another beautiful gift this week from Sally here. A beautiful gold pen with the tail of a feather out of the peacock. I meant to bring it. I walked past it and didn't bring it. I'll bring it next week. It's beautiful. And it reminded me the eye was on the feather. You could see the eye of the peacock. And it reminded me of how God sees right into my heart and into your heart. And he has a true assessment as to what's going on in your heart. Nobody else, we can be so misunderstood, girls. But only God can see. He's wonderful. And you see, let's look at something positive about David. Because in this instance, instead of putting on a sword and rallying up the men to go after these Amalekites, did you notice that instead of doing that, that he turned to God, he cried, he said, call the priest to bring the ephod. Now, if you remember in the story of Abigail, do you remember whenever he was provoked by Nabal, the fool who was married to Abigail? Do you remember the minute he was provoked, what did he do? He slapped on the sword and he told his men, get your swords on, we're going to war. He did it hastily, he didn't seek God. But now, a little bit later, he has learned through his mistake, he has learned something. Do you know that, that God wants to teach you through the mistakes and the wrong twists and turns in your life? God has taught me probably more from the mistakes than he has from other things. God teaches us, he binds us up, he brings healing to us, but he teaches us through the mistakes. And David had learned because this time he, he made up his mind he wasn't going after these raiders. He wasn't going to go after them. He wasn't going to put a sword on or tell his men to put their sword on. The first thing he was going to do was, Abather, the high priest, the, it wasn't the high priest, he was a priest, he called him to bring the ephod, his first turn was to God. He was seeking God. He wanted to know what God was going to tell him to do in this circumstance. And that's what we need to do. And God understood that. And God knew exactly what was going on inside David's heart. And I want just to say to you today that God knows what's going on inside your heart. And I think that's a wonderful thing to know because he doesn't step back in dismay. He doesn't look at what's going on in your heart and say, oh my goodness, there's no hope there. He looks into your heart and he says, I have a hope and a future for you. He looks right into the deepest places and he says, I have a hope and a future for you. And he calls you forth. And so David turned. Now, I'm going to tell you, I had planned in my heart to go through this whole chapter. 
I was going for it. I was going to go right to the very end and I was going to tell you about the whole, the whole chase after these Malachites. And I was, I was full of it and I had most of it all printed up and I typed out for you until one word caught, two words caught my eye. And then I just had to stop because I felt the Lord was saying, just stop there, just, just stop right there. Because I believe God wants to speak to you about what I'm going to now say. And I believe this is really important for us this morning. And Lord, do not let it be complicated. But you know what struck me? When I read that David called for the priest, Abathur, to bring the ephod, I felt like God just said, just stop right there. What was David actually doing? He was calling the priest and the ephod. Now, I've put in your notes that, that the priest and the ephod were God's visual aids. For the people in the Old Testament. And let me tell you that David knew God and he loved, you remember we said at the very beginning of this series that David, God loved him because David had a heart after God's heart. And God saw that and saw inside him that he was crying out to the Lord. And so uh, the ephod and the priest, now next week we're going to look uh, at, what, what, at what was happening to Saul. At the same time that this was all happening to David, something was happening to Saul. And if you remember, Saul had destroyed, he had put an order out to kill all the priests in the land. And there was only one priest that was left, and that was Abiathar. And he had run to David for cover. So David had the, the priest and he had the ephod. And the ephod was a, a garment that the high priest wore. I want to bring you out the truth of what the priest means and what the ephod means. And this is where God told me to stop. And I'm believing this is going to, I'm believing this is going to be uh, like a sword in God's hand to go right in there to bless you, to open up a place to put his word in like a seed that's going to go deep, that, that actually we're going to experience this from God today. I've written in your notes that God had made a way for his goodness to be seen and experienced not only through the high priest, but through the garments of the high priest. I love the fact that the Old Testament is so full of truth. You see, the, the garments of the high priest were all prophetic. They were all, uh, they were all visual aids for God's people to understand God's heart. And the, the ephod and the high priest were, were, uh, were supposed to be a, were a blessing to God's people. Now, the high priest himself was actually a future picture of Jesus who would come and die for our sin and uh, how Jesus would minister to us. And so right now, we don't have an Old Testament priest who was dressed in all these beautiful, colourful garments that all had a meaning to bring us to God and to, to help us to experience and know God. We have the real thing. We don't have an Old Testament priest. We have Jesus, our high priest. And he's not just a high priest, he's our great high priest, full of magnificence. He has gone to the cross. A priest was someone who stood between the people and God. And they had to bring blood before they could, before they could mediate between man and God. And Jesus came and gave, shed his own blood so that he could pay the price for us, so that he could take our sin in his own body as he suffered on the cross. 
And as he suffered on the cross, he paid the price legally that you and I could be forgiven, that we could put on the garments of righteousness, which I see in many ways like the garments of the high priest, as beautiful as that. And he wants to turn us into priests, kings and priests. He wants us to become more like him, that actually we will know that we are part of the royal priesthood. Not just the Old Testament one, but the one, the heavenly priesthood, the royal priesthood, that we would know that we are kings, royal kings, and, and daughters of the Lord Most High, and that we are given this function to be priests. And so I just think this morning that God wants to tell you that first of all, God wants you to know that you have a high priest. And, and, and the, the, in those days, the high priest wore this garment called the ephod. Now, it was a simple garment that just was slipped on. It was blue, which speaks of the heavenly man. The sky, it speaks of the heavenly man. It was blue. But attached to it, there were some particular things that were actually attached to the ephod. So when this priest brought the ephod to David, David just didn't have a garment. He had more than that. He had attached to the garment, he had what was known as the breastplate of judgment. Now the priest in those days would have worn this garment, the ephod, and attached to it was this square piece of material which was known as the breastplate. And on that there was 12 different stones placed on this ephod, 12 of them, all different, all different gems. And on each of these stones, they were set in gold into the cloth of the breastplate. And they were also not only set in gold, but on every single stone was the name of one of the tribes of Israel was inscribed on every stone. And that breastplate of righteousness, breastplate of judgment, was actually, actually chained. There were different chains that chained it to the ephod, so it couldn't slip, it couldn't fall off. And it was, I'm gonna to read to you just a little bit in a moment from Exodus 28, as to how that was secured onto this garment, the ephod. And so it was not only chained with chains, but there was rings, it was, there was a number of rings. Let me just read you a few verses, because this, this particular garment was made for beauty and for glory and we're talking about the glory and the beauty of jesus today and i believe that god wants us to get a little glimpse of this of what god means us to understand from this garment the ephod and the breastplate it says um just let me read a little bit from uh, there's so much in this you could read right through it. Exodus 28. It, this is God's command. Make sacred garments for Aaron, that was the priest, that are glorious and beautiful. Instruct all the skilled craftsmen whom I have filled with the spirit of wisdom. Have them make garments for Aaron that will distinguish him as a priest set apart for my service. These are the garments they are to make. A chest piece, an ephod, a robe, a patterned tunic, a turban and a sash. They are to make these sacred garments for your brother Aaron and his sons to wear when they serve me as priests. So give them fine linen cloth, gold thread and blue, purple and scarlet thread. They were beautiful, they were colourful, they were magnificent. 
These garments were, the ephod and the rest of the garments for the high priest were magnificent. So here's what it says. The craftsmen must make the ephod of finely woven linen, speaks of purity, and skillfully embroider it with gold, speaks of deity, and with blue, speaks of the heavens. It speaks of pur with purple and scarlet thread, speaks of suffering. Purple speaks, speaks of kingship. The scarlet speaks of blood of the suffering of Christ. It will contain two pieces front and back joined at the shoulders with two shoulder pieces. So it was two pieces front and back and then on the shoulders it was also joined on the shoulders. So you've got to try and get this into your head. And here's what he says. Take two onyx stones and engrave on them the names of the tribes of Israel. Six names will be on each stone arranged in the order of the birth of the original sons of Israel. So there's a stone on the shoulder pieces one here and one here the onyx stone and all the names of the children of Israel all the tribes are to be written inscribed on these onyx stones it goes on to say engrave these names on the two stones in the same way a jeweller engraves a seal then mount the stones in settings of gold fasten the two stones on the shoulder pieces of the ephod as a reminder that Aaron represents the people of Israel Aaron will carry these names on his shoulders as a constant reminder whenever he goes before the Lord. Make the settings of gold, then braid two cords of pure gold, that's like putting these cords together, these like chains, and attach them to the settings on the shoulder of the ephod. Then, with great skill and care, Make a chest piece to be worn for seeking a decision from God. Make it to match the ephod using finely woven linen embroidered with gold and with blue, purple and scarlet thread. Make the chest piece of a single piece of cloth folded to form a pouch nine inches square and mount four rows of gemstones on it. So it had gemstones as well and it gives you all the different gemstones. And then it says to attach the chest piece to the ephod, make braided cords of pure gold. That's like chains, making like chains or like plaiting cords of gold. Then make two gold rings and attach them to the top corners of the chest feet. Tie the two gold cords to the two rings on the chest feet. Tie the other ends of the cords. I'm not going to read on down there, but you take time to read that and read how many times it says tie this and tie that and put it on this ring and put it on that ring and then put that chain on that chain. Basically what I want to tell you is this, that the ephod was attached to this breastplate of righteousness front and back. We are totally made righteous in Christ. And these gemstones had the names of God's people inscribed on them. What was this saying? What, what kind of visual aid was this to God's people? What does God say to us today through this picture of the ephod? It says that we are on God's heart. It shows us that we are jewels, that he values, that he holds us upon his heart, and that we are chained to him in rings of gold that we are set in gold and we are held by gold chains to his heart and nothing or no one is going to pull us away from his heart where he loves us we belong on the heart of god and i would love you to get that today and i felt like god said to me you've got to stop don't run on with this story until the woman understands something of what David understood when he called out for that ephod. Because he knew the ephod had the breastplate and he needed to be reminded that he was still in God's heart with all his sin. He needed to know that he was loved and that God saw him as a jewel and God held him on his heart. And he was fastened. He was fastened securely to God. And we need to know that. You're not about to slip because God holds you. And you know, not only was the breastplate 
held in place with these gold chains and these gold settings, these gold rings. Not only was the chest plate held in position, but it was all joined to the shoulders. It was all one piece. What did it mean that the onyx stones were at each shoulder with all the names of the tribes and the onyx stones? It means, it shows us, it's a visual aid, ladies, to show us that God carries us on his shoulders, that he knows your name. He knows you individually and you're inscribed on his heart, but you're also inscribed on his shoulders. And when Jesus came, he fulfilled the meaning of this because he came with carrying the world in his heart, carrying you, your name on his heart. And Jesus told a story about how if there was one sheep that was lost, he was going to leave the 99 and go after the one. And what did he say when he found it? He rejoiced to find the, the one. And he took that sheep and what did he do? He put it on his shoulders and he carried it home. What does it mean for us to see the ephod with the breastplate and the, and the shoulders with the onyx stones? It means that God wants you to know and understand that he loves you with an everlasting love. That you're a, a, you're a gem. You're, you are a beautiful beautiful stone a gem in his eyes you are you're a jewel to him and he carries you in his heart and in those times when you're too weary and too faint to walk yourself he lifts you up and he puts you on his shoulders and he carries you on his shoulders that's the message of what that's why david david knew about the priesthood he knew what he was doing when he called for the priest to bring the ephod because he knew the ephod was what he needed he needed to be reminded that he was still in God's heart. He needed to be reminded that God was still carrying him despite his weakness and all his fear, despite all the mistakes and the running around. David needed to be reminded that God loved him and was not letting him go. He was fastened to God and so were you. If you've trusted Jesus as your saviour, listen, you are fastened. In fact, Hebrews, uh, Hebrews 6 tells us that actually we're actually anchored right through the blue sky right into heaven itself, that we are anchored to God. But you know, there was more to it than that. Inside the breastplate, and I just read it there, maybe you caught it and maybe you didn't, there was a special place inside the breastplate where the material had to be folded over to make like a little pouch, like a little secret pouch right on the heart of the high priest. And inside this pouch, there were two things that were kept. They were known as the urim and the thumb. And a lot of people don't know anything about these, but they were, we get, we're not too sure. Scripture doesn't make it really very clear what they were, but they were, we, we think they were a kind of like gemstones of some kind. Let me just read you a couple of, I think I had a wee thing here written about it. Yeah. Um, the urim, which literally means lights, and the thummim, which means perfections, were gemstones that were carried by the high priest of Israel on the ephod. They were used by the high priest to determine God's will in situations. Some proposed that God would cause the Urim and the thummim to light up in varying patterns to reveal his decision. Others proposed that the Urim and thummim were kept in a pouch and were engraved with symbols identifying yes or no, or true or false. We don't know, it's a mystery. You know, if you're seeking God's will, there's no little pattern. There's no do this and this and equals this. You have to come before God and it's in a mystery God will reveal to you. God's dealings with us are mysterious. He doesn't just 
you know, carve out one way and just throw it out there. That's the instructions. Everybody do the same. He deals with us as individuals and he knows all the twists and turns of your journey. And he understands everything about you. And so there's no two people can be guided in exactly the same way. That's why those of us who do prayer ministry, we have to cast ourselves on God because we just haven't got a pattern that we just go through and say, this has to be fixed. We depend on the Holy Spirit to help us because God wants to bless you and he wants to, he wants to speak to your heart because he loves you and God wants to guide you. And the Urim and the Thummim that were in this hidden part, this little pouch, in, in right, on, right on the high priest's heart, that's what God wants you to know, that you're on his heart and that he wants to guide you from the love that's in his heart. That's where he wants to guide your steps. And if you're here today and you don't know exactly what to do in a given situation and you're needing guidance about anything, it could be something very small or something very big, you need to know that in God's heart, he just wants you to come to him. Just the way David called for the priest to bring the ephod. You need to know that your heavenly great high priest is there and he has you on his heart and he wants to give you the answers and he sometimes he gives it to us simply and plainly and sometimes he just gives us the first step and he, he trusts us that we will trust him until he gives us the next step do you know that coming out of a problem or coming out of a bad situation is usually one step and then another step it's not usually all in one go. It's usually step after step as we listen to God and obey him as he leads us and directs us and guides us into the fullness of what he has for us. So David, I tell you, David was no mug. He knew. He knew that he needed the, he needed the priest to come and there was only the one boy left because Saul had killed all the rest of them. And he called for a bather and he said, bring me the ephod. That was the important thing that he needed. He needed to know what the, what the ephod, what God would say through the breastplate and through the urim and the thummim. And God gave him this very, very direct answer. He said that he was to go. Let me just remind you of what God said to David. The Lord told him, yes, go after them. You will surely recover everything that was taken from you. You know, a couple of weeks ago I told you my story and you know, this part of scripture is so relevant to me. And if you remember, I, I shared with you how in the middle of my dilemma, in the middle of, of me going through, and you've all gone through different things and different stories, but in my particular story where I was in that situation of being separated but not yet divorced and not knowing what was going to happen, you know, God spoke to me so powerfully through this verse. I cried out to him and I said, God, I don't know what to do. Am I supposed to wait forever? What's to happen here? What's... And as I cried out to God, the word that he gave me was this word, pursue. And in the New um, King James Version, it says, pursue. You will surely overtake and without doubt recover all. And you know, I remember that night so clearly. I was on my, four, my hands and knees on the floor. And I was crying before the Lord because I did not know what was going to happen to my life. I thought my life had gone down the tubes because it wasn't only the loss of the marriage, which was terrible, but it was the loss of the ministry that we could have done in Eastern Europe. It was breaking my heart, girls. It was breaking my heart. Everything had gone up in smoke. It was ashes. My arms were full of ashes. And in the midst of it, I was saying, God, what am I to do? Am I to pursue? And God said, forget about everything else. Just pursue me. That's what he said to me, so clearly. 
And I resolved that night, I said, Lord, with your help, I will follow you and follow you alone and I will trust you to bring about the outcome. And that's exactly what he did. And you know what? I did surely overtake. I overtook all the rubbish and stuff that I thought I'd never get over. He just took me over it. And he'll do the same for you. And you know what? He said to me that night, pursue and you will without doubt recover all. You know that God always gives you back more than what you've lost. In the Old Testament, in the law, in, Genesis, in Exodus 22 verse 1, it says that if a man had an ox and it was stolen, it had to be given back to him fivefold. They get five back for the one with lost. And it says if a man, if, if a, one sheep was stolen in order to be compensated, the person had to restore four sheep. And Jesus said, what did he say in the New Testament? If any of you, if any of you give up parents or land or family or this hard stuff that goes on, what did he say? I will restore to you 100 fold. God's a God of restoration. He's a God who gives us back more than what was lost. And I have experienced that in my life. And so... David had this encounter, he had this encounter with God. And you know, the moment that God speaks, you see a difference, David. And I'm telling you, one encounter with God can change everything. One encounter with God can empower you to get up and go. And God wants us to have continual... Now here's the thing, that at this particular stage, David still did not know that within a very short time he was going to be on the throne of Israel. David at this point in his life did not know or understand that God was very soon going to fulfill all his promises and set him on the throne. He was still running like a wild thing. He was still being chased by Saul. He didn't know that God was taking care of the Saul situation. But at this particular point he was turning to God and he was believing what God told him and he was acting in obedience and he was making the choice to go after what had been lost. You know, during the time of my story, I remember those years of realising that I had been robbed. I remember the, the, the Lord showing me that, that this whole story was really about me. And it's about you. Because the enemy has stolen from your life as well as mine. I know he has because that's what he does. Jesus said he was a thief. But you know what? We're to go and we're to take that back. And during that time, and I know I've said this before on different occasions, but during that time there was a wee song that we used to sing, and it was I went to the enemy's camp, and I took back what he stole from me. And I remember we did the actions I took back, and to this day, when I put that music on, William starts doing the actions. Because it was sung and sung and sung. Because God wants you to go after what you've lost. The things that God intended for you, listen, you have to take them back. Satan has no right to take those from you. And next week we're going to look at how David went forward and how he did that. And we're going to look at the same time what was happening to Saul. And we're going to compare the two of them. You know, there's two routes in any, in any problem. We can go the world's way. We can go the enemy's way. Or we can go God's way. But you know what, David? David was going after God. And he was energised by the Holy Spirit to go after these raiders. You notice we're going to see here uh, that he went the very first. Let me just read it to you and then we'll, we'll just wind up very shortly. It says, uh, the Lord said, yes, go after, uh, go after them. And it says in verse 9, so David and his 600 men set out and they came to the brook Besor. But 200 of his men were too exhausted to cross the brook. So David continued with the pursuit 
with 400 men. You know what? When he, when he had that encounter with God, David was so energized. These men that had been ready to stone him, they saw something in David. They saw that God had touched them. They saw that, that, that God was at work here. And they, they were right behind him. And they took off. And David went forward leading his men in strength and in power. And when they got to this first obstacle, this brook, there was one third of his men that they were so exhausted. Remember, they'd, they'd already marched right back from the Philistines. They'd, they'd already had a large journey. They'd made a large journey. They were too exhausted to cross. But David was merciful in the same way as his God had been merciful to him. And he didn't say to those 200 men, you better get over there or what. He let them stay there and he, along with the 400, continued the pursuit. What? David was empowered by the encounter that he'd had with God and some of his men had seen what had happened and they were ready, they were right with him. They were going to go after these men. I want you to know that God can empower you. I want you to know that God can take you up when you're at your weakest. I want you to know that God's a magnificent God. I want you to know that God loves you, that he's full of mercy for you. I have written in your notes that God wants to restore the magnificence of his creation. C.S. Lewis uh, said that, here, let me read to you what he says about, about all of us. He says, the dullest and most uninteresting person that you may talk to may one day be a creature which if you saw it now you would be strongly tempted to worship or else a horror and a corruption such as you now meet such as you now meet if at all only in a nightmare what does that mean what's c.s lewis saying he's saying that god created us to be magnificent god created you to be magnificent but because of sin that was taken away the glory was taken away and he's saying that in one day when he fully restores us, we're going to be so magnificent. We're going to be like Jesus. We're going to be magnificent. And he's saying that, that if, if we could see what God is going to do in our lives, if we could see the full restoration that God plans for us, we might be tempted to even bow down to each other because God's going to restore your glory. But then there's a choice. If we refuse to turn to God, we're going to end up in the likeness of the evil one, the enemy. We're going to become more like the enemy, a horror and a corruption, such as you now meet of it all, only in a nightmare. That is very sobering, to think that if we start, if we do not, if we do not come to Jesus for salvation, we are going to be changed to be more like the enemy. It's so important we come to Jesus, and the uh, Second Corinthians 3.18 tells us that the more we look into the face of Jesus, the more he changes us from one level of glory to another. He wants to make us more magnificent. He wants us to be a people that reflect his glory. He wants us to become priests, royal priests of the King of Kings. He wants us to know who we are and he wants to change us and he wants to make us more like Christ. And you know what? If we don't receive salvation, and if we don't receive the good news that, that Jesus died for us, he paid the price for us, if we don't receive him into our heart, do you know what the sad thing is? We're going to continually be changed by this world and by the enemy, and we're going to become more and more like the enemy. And you know what? We're going the wrong direction. You know, Philip spoke on Sunday morning, and I was so blessed by what he said. But you know what? <coughs> He was faithful. He was faithful to say that if we don't
turn to Jesus Christ for salvation, we're going straight towards hell itself. And we don't like to talk to that about that now, but no, that's the truth. Because the enemy wants to steal and kill and destroy. He does not want you to have a future in heaven with God. He does not want you to live your life and know the joys of serving God and knowing the joy to know the joy of being changed from one level of glory to another and become more like Christ. Satan wants to steal your destiny from you. And God says, I've come to give you life, that you might have it to the full. Don't let the enemy steal any more from you. Start saying, Lord, I want to come to you. You're my high priest. I can run to you at any moment. Let me read to you in the, from, the, um, from the message what it says in Hebrews 4. Now we know what we have. Jesus, this great high priest, with ready access to God. Let's, let's not let it slip through our fingers. We don't have a priest who is out of touch with our reality. He's been through weakness and testing, experienced it all, all but the sin. So let's walk right up to him and get what he is so ready to give. Take the mercy, accept the help. He's there. He's your great high priest. He wants you to know. He's the one who stands between you and God. First Timothy 2 and 5, the message says, One priest, mediator between God and us, Jesus who offered himself in exchange for everyone held captive by sin, Jesus who sets us all free. I believe today that God wants us to know he can give us a new start. He can turn around our ashes for beauty. He can make us, he can make us take up the path again. He can turn things around for good. I really wanted to read just a couple of verses to you from Deuteronomy, and then we're just going to finish. Deuteronomy 30 has come across me a few times this week, and it's so powerful in the New Living Translation. Hang on a minute. It's not the New it's the Message Translation. Sorry. <clears throat> yes. Now listen to this in the message. Here's what will happen. While you're out among the nations where God has dispersed you and the blessings and curses come in just the way I've set before you and you and your children take them seriously and come back to God and obey God with your whole heart and soul according to everything that he has commanded you today. God, listen to this, God, your God, will restore everything that you've lost. He'll have compassion on you. He'll come back and pick up the pieces from all the places where you were scattered, no matter how far away you end up. God, your God, will get you out of there and he will bring you back to the land that your ancestors once possessed. It will be yours again. He will give you a good life and make you more numerous than your ancestors. God, your God, will cut away the thickest calluses on your heart and your children's hearts, freeing you to love God, your God, with your whole heart and soul and life, he wants you to really live. God, your God, will put all these curses on your enemies who hated you, who are out to get you. Listen to this. God will give you a new start as you listen obediently to God, keeping his commandments. God, your God, look at this. Listen to this. You've got to listen to this last line. God, your God, will outdo himself in making things go well for you. God wants to outdo himself in blessing. 
for each of you as you turn to him. He is your, he's your God. He is your great high priest. He wants you to know the joy of walking in oneness with him. He wants you to know how much he loves you. He wants you to get a fresh glimpse of his magnificence. You know, when we come to the throne room in, in, uh, in Revelation, I'm about to stop, when we come to the throne room in Revelation 4, it's amazing because you see the throne room is full of colour and beauty, reminds us of the magnificence of God, reminds us just of how beautiful he is. Talks about all the different stones and gems are there. The jasper, the sardius stone, all these different stones, the rainbow, it's full of colour and light and beauty. Just the things we've been talking about today, how these diamonds and these jaspers and all these different stones were in the heart of the high priest and how God wants, in his, at his throne, there is a continuous, beautiful sparkling around the throne. And God wants you, he wants you to know that you're his jewel. Each of you are his jewel. Specific God-crafted jewel. God's a designer. We see it in the peacock. We see the design and the beauty and the wonder. God has designed every single one of you with unique gifts, unique colours and blends. And we see God wants you to know that you're his jewel and he wants you to sparkle. You're going to sparkle one day around the throne. You might as well sparkle now. He wants us to sparkle. And he wants us to know that he sees everything and understands everything. And actually, at the, around the, the throne of God in Revelation 4, we see that there are eyes around the throne. We think of the eyes on the peacock and the beauty and the colour. God's a God who is faithful. God's a God who has painted this universe with all these beautiful colours. He's a great designer. He's designed you. And he's designed you to sparkle and shine and show your true colours to the world. Put your colours to the mass that you belong to Christ and you're going to reflect his glory in your life. Don't let the enemy steal from you anymore. We're going to listen to a song now. It's the song of the power of the cross. It's one of the ghetto songs. I'd love us to really sing this because you know what? The reason we can pursue and recover all is because of what Jesus did on the cross. Because of what he has done for us and paid the price, we can sing this song. So let's sing it and really worship God as we do. We just want to hold up the greater son of David, Jesus Christ himself, who went to the cross. Lord, we thank you for what we've heard about how you have engraved our names on your heart. And Lord, we just think of the lines of this song, Oh, to see my name written in your wounds. Lord, we just remember that your heart was pierced, Lord, for us. And Lord, we just want to say to you that we owe you everything. Lord, we pray that this, this morning that you will speak to every woman in this place about how much you love her. God, I pray for a fresh revelation of your love. And I pray, oh God, that you would do business this morning. God, you're our great high priest. Jesus, we thank you that you've told us to come boldly to you. And we will find grace and mercy in time of need. 
Lord, we love you and we worship you and we thank you for this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. It is as usual, there'll be people up here willing and ready to pray with you if you would like to.